today is substitute day again. Kelly, thank you. That was beautiful for that. And Matt is filling in for Jeff, and uh, I urge you to go see it. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 1 through 6 today as we continue our study through this very important book. You know, I, I, I comment many times or sometimes about the songs we've sung. And that one this morning, the In Christ Alone by Keith, and, uh, and Stuart, uh, Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend <clears throat> is really uh, one of my favorite all-time songs, I think, that's been written, especially in recent years. And, and I love that last verse. I mean, I, just, I get cold chills when I hear these words sung and I sing these, these words Toward the end of it, it says, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. I mean, that is just a powerful statement. And it's especially appropriate as we enter into talking about Hebrews. Because Hebrews is perhaps one of the most misunderstood in some places and one of the verses today we'll deal with uh, kind of is the beginning of that as you move through this book Hebrews is filled with warnings uh, Hebrews is written as we've already talked about to a group of Christians who were undergoing great persecution because they had left Judaism they had left uh, the, the law if you will and they had followed Christ Jesus they had committed themselves to Christ Many of them, because of that, had been shunned by their families, had been thrown out of their families, had been thrown out of the synagogue. They had a, they had a horrible persecution because of their faith in Christ. And because of that, some of them were asking questions. Some of them were struggling. Some of them were kind of turning back, if you will, toward the law reconsidering Moses as the great apostle of, the, of that faith and, and considering is this something that we really do need to, to, to rethink or reconsider. And, and Paul, uh, or the writer of this book is saying, keep your eyes firmly fixed in the direction which you're going. Keep your eyes firmly fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what he deals with in this passage here today as he starts talking about these warnings. But he does warn us that, that there is a danger of turning away. Now, some people say, well, that means you can lose your salvation. I think the preponderance of Scripture, and remember, you always have to interpret Scripture by Scripture. You, you never say, oh, well, this is what it says right here, and so that must be how it is. You interpret Scripture in light of other Scripture. And I think the preponderance of Scripture, and I think even the preponderance of what the writer of Hebrews has to say is that we, once we are truly and genuinely saved, once we are in Christ, there is no plucking us out of his hand. There is no losing of that salvation. You're not saved one day, lost the next day, and then saved again some other time to be only be lost again. Some people will teach in our world today, in, our, in the church today, that, man, if you sin one time, you're out. And you've got to be saved all over again until you sin again, and then you're out again. Well, the writer of Hebrews is going to say later on, said, listen, man, if you can lose it, you can't ever get it back. Once you've had it, if you've been in Christ and you do lose that, then you can never be restored to repentance, ever. That's pretty clear. But the, the words of Jesus, 
When you are in Christ, you are, when you are in me, you are in, in my hand, and I'm in the Father's hand, and the Father is protecting us, and no one can snatch you out of my hand or the Father's hand. It's fairly clear. The Apostle Peter's words in 1 Peter, when he says, listen, if you are in Christ, you are kept, K-E-P-T, kept by the power of God. You're not kept by your own strength. You're not kept by your own power. You're not persevering because you're such a, a great person. You're persevering because the, so the power of God is at work in your life. Now, there are a lot of people, a lot of people who enter into this thing we call the church and have never had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, tr that's tragic. They've heard the gospel of grace. They've tasted of the fellowship. They've tasted of, of just a bit of what God has done and is doing. And they, they like what they see, but for whatever reason, they turn and they leave. They, they reject it. They say, no, this is not. may have been in the church a long time. And some will say, well, boy, that's tragic. Even some may have been deacons. Sadly, even some were pastors. And they say, boy, that's really sad. They were in Christ. They were saved. They're on the way to heaven. And you know what? They lost their salvation, and they're, they're doomed now for all of eternity because they once were saved, but now they're lost. John answered that in 1 John by simply saying, listen, those who have departed, that people are asking John, why are these people departing? Why are they not staying? They were leaders. They were involved in the fellowship, but now they're leaving us. And John says they are going out because they may have been among us, but they were never truly of us. They never really had life. They never really experienced conversion, regeneration. They never were born again. Oh, they were religious. They were involved. All the right stuff was going on, but they never really had that living encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's important to understand as we look at the passages in Hebrews. You weigh them against the teachings of our Lord Jesus that the Gospels record, against the explanation of those teachings that the Apostle Paul gives, as well as what this writer says in this book. I think even if you just take the book of Hebrews and balance those out, he's saying there is security, there is eternal security for those who are truly in the Lord, those who are truly in Christ. Listen to what he says, though, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren. Oh, listen, to his, listen at his terminology. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as, as Moses also was in all his house, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, that he is Jesus. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ... But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm 
and the boast of our hope firm until the end. This is the word of our Lord. This is the word of God. The writer starts out with that little word, therefore, and really what he's saying, now in light of what I've just said in these first two chapters, in light of everything I've said about Jesus being greater than the angels, about Jesus being back in verse 1 of chapter 1, that long ago, after God spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the, power of his, by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And then based on those four verses, those four statements that this writer makes, he then takes the Old Testament and he begins to, to deal with those and show us that this is the absolute truth. This is what God has been showing us in Christ. It's a further revelation. It's a more complete revelation than we had under Moses, under the angels, under the Old Testament. And then in chapter 2, he gives us a, 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 a exhortation or an admonition. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, For this reason... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed by those who heard it. He starts out by talking about this, this glorious Jesus greater than the angels, higher than the angels. Then in chapter 2, he gives us our first exhortation. Pay close attention to the word. You have heard the word. It has been preached. It has been taught. It has been proclaimed. It has been confirmed by those who heard it, even from the Lord himself. Now pay close attention to the word which was spoken. And, and there he unfolded this idea of us looking to the word, believing the word, trusting in what God has said through the word. And so that was our first exhortation, and he supported that again by Scripture. Then we come to verse 4, excuse me, verse, uh, chapter 3. We come to chapter 3, and he starts out by saying, okay, let me give you another exhortation. Let me give you another encouragement. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, our apostle and high priest of our confession. Boy, there's a lot there. There's a lot in that one verse that we could just mull over and think over for the rest of the day probably. He taught, first of all, starts out by calling them holy brethren. We've talked about that word holy, what it means when applied to individuals. It, it, it's, it's different from when it's applied to God. God is a holy God in that he is absolutely perfect. He is absolutely without flaw. He is absolutely without any deficiency at all. No sin, no unrighteousness, no injustice. But when it's replied to us, the idea of us being holy brethren, we know the concept of being brothers and sisters, brethren in the family, but we are holy brethren. That is, we have been set apart. He's talking here to those who have been set apart because of this calling, this high calling, this, this heavenly calling 
that is given for the believers, for the church, and he calls them holy brethren. You know, there's a calling that goes with following Christ. You're called by the Holy Spirit. You are called out of death, out of the world, into light and into his kingdom. There's a call that is to come out of and come out of and be different and be separate and all those things that, that the writer of Hebrews will talk about in this, in this book a little later on. But there's also the call that is from heaven that calls us not just out of the world, but calls us into the presence of God. And that's what he's talking about here. You are holy brethren who have come into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You who have received this heavenly calling, you who have been partakers of it, you have, you have been involved in it. It's a, it's a magnificent thing that happens in your life. And then this is what he tells them to do. Two words. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Now you might say, why would he say consider Jesus? to those who have already trusted in Jesus, who have already been born again, obviously because they're holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, why would he say to those who have come out of the world and into the kingdom of God and they are now a part of the church, I mean really a part of the church, why would he say to them, consider Jesus? Wouldn't you say consider Jesus to someone who is not a Christian? Well, certainly you would. Wouldn't you say consider Jesus to somebody that you're trying to evangelize, you're trying to share the gospel with, and you say, listen, here's what the gospel is. You lay out the gospel, and you say, now, consider that. Think about Jesus. Consider Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews, while he would do that with an unbeliever, no doubt, he writes to you and me, and he writes to these Christians in, in scattered places that are being persecuted for their faith, and he just simply says, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Think about it. Dwell on it. Meditate on him. Concentrate your thoughts on him. Let your conscious reality every day be focused on him. Now, now I don't want to get real personal here, but let me ask you something. How much of your day is spent considering Jesus. I mean, not on Sunday. Let's talk about five days or six days when you're not in church, quote, unquote. But you're supposed to be being the church out in the community. How much of that time is thought about Jesus? Who he is, what he's done in your life, in the life of your church, in, in, the, in, in calling you out and calling you in. How much is thought about the character of Christ and the glory of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and, and, and all of those things that go along with all of that? How much of your day is spent considering Jesus? Well, it seems to be that the writer here is saying that's important for every believer to do. We, we too often just consider Jesus when we're coming to faith in him. We, we too often just meditate on him and dwell on him when we're thinking about, well, I may trust Christ. Or when we're sharing it with somebody else. 
the writer here says here's the key here's the key to walking as holy brethren here's the key of here's the key to life on a daily consistent basis consider Jesus focus on Jesus meditate if you will on Jesus meditation's a big thing in our day today you know that started back in the 60s I guess with with the Beatles and transcendental meditation which was basically you meditate on nothing and just feel better about yourself but now even in some of our curriculums we're seeing in our our world in our school systems some of the curriculums are adopting sort of a Hindu type of meditation let's just all sit around and just clear our minds and just let's just let's just don't think about anything in particular let's just meditate in other words let's just get everything out of our mind so that any junk that comes along can come crashing in you see the mind is not a vacuum if you just evacuate it, if you just clear it out, if you just kind of say, let's just don't think about anything and let everything be pushed aside, something's going to come rushing in there and you're going to fill it. That's why the writer here says, concentrate on, meditate on, consider Jesus. We ought to be filling our minds with him. We ought to be filling our thoughts with who he is and what he's like and what he's done. We ought to be thinking about him when we're driving down the road. We ought to be thinking about him when we're sitting in our homes and when we're, when we're at work and when we're at school. and everywhere. We ought to never stop considering Jesus because the writer here says he is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. What is our confession? Well, it's the same confession that Peter made back in the Gospel of Matthew when they went out into the out of the city and out into the countryside and Jesus started asking them who do men say that I am and and you know they said oh Elijah and John the Baptist and one of the other prophets they've got all sorts of ideas of who you are that are wrong and he said to the disciples but who do you say that I am and Peter immediately responded you are the Christ the son of the living God that is our confession. That is the rock upon which our confession is made. That is the rock upon which our faith is founded. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And everything that word Christ, Messiah, King, everything that goes with that is, is wrapped up in that. That's who we say it is. And he's the apostle of our confession. He's the high priest of our confession. You ever heard Jesus called an apostle before? I thought he had apostles. I didn't know he was an apostle. Well, only the, only the writer of Hebrews, as far as I know, and I think I'm correct here, only the writer of Hebrews calls him the apostle of our confession. He was an apostle. He had, an, he had apostles. He sent out apostles. What in the world does that mean? How do you reconcile that? Well, the word apostle is a word that literally means envoy or messenger or ambassador all of those are are very similar words that could be used here to talk about what the writer is saying he is the apostle of our confession he is the messenger of our confession he is the declarer of our confession he is the one on which our confession is grounded he brought the word from God about what salvation was 
That's our confession. Who he is, not on the basis of our intelligence, but on the basis of what Christ has shown us, has taught us, and has done for us. Now, granted, the high priest part, which we'll look at later on in Hebrews, because it really gets he really gets into this later about him being our high priest. But, but the high priest is what he's done primarily for us. The apostle is what he's told us, what he's proclaimed. Back in chapter 1, he was called a prophet. Now in chapter 3, he's called an apostle and a high priest. All of those are offices of Christ that relate to you and me. And the writer here says you ought to consider it. You ought to think about it. You ought to think about him as an apostle, a declarer, an envoy, an ambassador of God to us for our confession. You ought to think of him as a high priest who became the sacrifice, offered himself as a sacrifice, that our confession might be true. Verses 2 through 5, he really just talks about that or expounds on that just a little bit because there's these buying confessions here he's talking about the confession in Christ or a confession in Moses or the law and he talks about Moses being a being a really faithful servant he's not putting Moses down now you know Jesus was accused of that in his earthly ministry they said oh you're you're telling us to disobey the law of Moses you're telling us to turn away from the law of Moses and turn to a whole new something and he's not doing that He's not putting Moses down. He says Moses was a faithful servant. I mean, God appointed him. And Moses was a servant in his house. That is the house of Israel. For he was counted worthy. He has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That is, Jesus has. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was, a, was faithful in all God's house as a servant for the testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. Don't miss that little phrase there. Which were to be spoken later. Moses spoke a lot. Moses taught the people a lot. Moses heard from God in the law and heard from God in the building of the tabernacle and, and heard from God in taking them out of Egypt and into the, into the wilderness where it ended for him, but toward the promised land that was promised by God. I mean, I mean, Moses spoke a lot, but the things Moses spoke really were just sort of precursory to what was yet to be spoken in Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean Moses was untrue. He wasn't. Moses told the truth. Moses proclaimed the truth. Moses lived out the truth. But everything he spoke of, whether it be in the sacrifices or in the tabernacle, which was the house of God there in the, among the children of Israel, everything Moses spoke of were things that were really to be spoken in completeness later in the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now no doubt some who heard this sermon or the, read this manuscript that this author here is producing, many of them I'm sure thought, well, now, whoa, 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 don't put Moses down. 
he was important, and he is important. One of the most important figures in all of Israel, in all of Judaism. But everything he spoke, everything he did, he was giving testimony to what Christ would later bring in fulfillment. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy Moses, but I came to fulfill the law. I am not destroying it. I am fulfilling it. I am obeying it completely as nobody ever has. I'm fulfilling it so that the new wine of the gospel might be shared and might be presented and might be shown. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant, giving testimony. Those things will be spoken later. But verse 6, but Christ was faithful not as a servant. Christ was faithful as a son over God's house. <clears throat> now, is that house the temple? Is that house the tabernacle in the wilderness that gave way to the temple? That needs to be rebuilt somehow in order that we can have true worship and true fellowship? Is, is that house something that we will build out of mortar and brick? Is that house something we'll build over on Oak Leaf Lane or, or what we have here temporarily? Is that is this kind of our tabernacle, I guess? Is, it, is this what we means by Jesus faithful over the house, the house of God? No. He says, we are the house whose house we are. We are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones in whom dwells the presence of God. Corporately, as a body, you're not a house by yourself. You know, we sometimes make a big issue. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit right here. Bless his heart. He ain't got much of a place to live. I'm talking about me. We we corporately make up the house of God. We are the building blocks. We are the, the people of God. We are the family of God. We are the house of God. And Jesus Christ is over his house. Paul said that in Colossians. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the one who rules and reigns. He is faithful in his oversight of God's house of which we are. Corporate. We started Wednesday night talking about just building a philosophy of ministry. And we started by contrasting, and we'll, do, we'll continue this week on Wednesday night. I hope you'll come. We started by contrasting the traditional model of the church with the biblical model of the church. In other words, where the church has gotten to and what it's seen as now and what the Bible says about the church. We're going to work through this over the next several months. Well, that's what the writer here is concerned about. He's, he's concerned about us being his house together. Us being the house of God, the dwelling place of God for the whole community to see together. That's why you don't find the scripture talking about even here in verse 6. He doesn't say we are his house, whose house we are, even if we get kind of lazy sometimes or, or, or go out and do our own thing and don't concentrate on really walking as we ought to walk. 
We said the only way we have confidence that we are His is if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. That is, every true believer, everyone who is truly in Christ, will hold fast, hold firm, keep the confidence, hold on to the hope to the very end. There is no losing it for those who are really in Christ. Those who lose it didn't really lose it. They never really had it. Oh, perseverance is an important thing to this writer. Holding fast to the end, staying faithful until the end, staying clear in your confession until the end, being the house of God over whom Jesus Christ rules and reigns to the end is vitally and very important. We are his house, even if we become inactive church members. Now what he says. You know the Bible, we Baptists are good at putting up an active role and an inactive role. An inactive church role is an oxymoron. Inactive member of a church is an oxymoron. Doesn't make sense. Biblically, doesn't make sense in a sense of the scripture. An active part of the body is right. I mean, if your hand becomes inactive and just hangs there, what good is it? Is it really a part of the body anymore? Well, it's attached, but you know, if it becomes totally inactive, gangrene may set in, and you may just have to cut it off. Sorry, it's a little graphic. If it becomes inactive, it's very useless. It has no value. It has no usefulness. It's really not a functioning part of the body. It's not even worthy to be called a part of the body, is it? Because it's just not working. In the body of Christ, in the, in the house of God, if, if the house isn't, if parts of the house aren't active, aren't working, they're of no real value. Um, Scott had an inactive air conditioner a few months ago. An inactive part of his house. And he got rid of it. Got something else. Because there's no value in inactivity in an air conditioner. Or a water heater. Or a toilet. I mean, those things become inactive. They cause a problem. Toilet begins to stink. Kind of what happens to inactive parts of the body of Christ. They begin to stink. Not in a physical sense, but in a sense of just not showing the glory of Christ. The glory of God. Showing that we are, we are a part of this and, and our confidence is, is strong. We're holding fast our confidence and we're holding fast our hope firm until the very end. That's the exhortation he gives here twofold. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. And hold on. You say, Bill, I thought you told me earlier I was kept by the power of God. That's right. So hold on. You don't have to trust in your own power. You don't have to trust in your own ability. It's the ability of the Holy Spirit that strengthens us and binds us together. But listen, anyone who's in Christ will be there at the end. They won't fizzle. 
They won't fumble. They won't fall, ultimately. They'll be a part of that house to the glory of God. And we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are at work. And it's by the power of your resurrection, the power of your mighty hand that we stand. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. We just stand by your help by your strength. Help us, Lord, consider Jesus. Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, many times, over and over, until we come back next Sunday to continue to consider Jesus, the apostle of our confession, the high priest of our confession. Because it's only in him that we can persevere. It's only in Him that we have life. Father, I pray for men and women who are here this morning that don't have Christ. There's some of those that are guilty of falling away immediately, as John said, because they're really not maybe of us. I pray your Holy Spirit, Father, would bring conviction to them and bring life to them. They would repent of their sin and turn in absolute faith to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for others who are here that know that they do not know you. I pray your Holy Spirit will draw them to yourself today. <clears throat> Show them their sin, their, their need of a Savior. Lord, that they would confess Christ. They would consider him and then confess him be a part of this great confession Father we ask it of you we trust in you we ask it in the name of Jesus